So last week, we looked at the work of Jesus. We saw that Jesus was high and lifted up before us as the better solution. Not just the better, but the best solution as priest and as king. So naturally, there is a question that I ask is, well, how effective then? I get that Jesus is the best, but then how effective is the work that he's done? Like, where does it reach? To what extent? Are there any limitations? And so today, I want to move from the work of a priest to the effectiveness of priest Jesus. I want to take us from what Jesus has done to actually where it is applied. That's what I want to do today. That's what I hope to do. That's what I want to encourage you in this morning. As we will see, Melchizedek Jesus, priest king Jesus, has done, uh, has done, has gone to where and has done better things in places in our lives and in the whole scheme of things than anybody ever who has come before him. The places that Jesus goes brings an end to our problem, the problem of humanity, the problem in our relationship with God, in all of the things, and provides not just a solution, but the best and the most effectual solution. As we will see, Jesus takes matters into his own hands, literally, does a better job, pays all of the debt and makes a substantial deposit which enables us to be completely restored. And not just us, but everything to be completely restored from what has been damaged and destroyed. This redemptive work of Jesus is more effective than anything that any priest has ever done or could have ever done because he does these things in that are that hold true and are finalized and are ultimately completed. Let me kind of frame this up a little bit better. It's one thing to pay off your debt, but it is even a better thing to accumulate such great deposits in your life that no amount of debt could ever decrease your balance. That's the effectiveness of Jesus, and we're going to look at that. So let me reiterate that again as we're going to see Jesus not only cancels out all the debt that you've accumulated against God and his law all the sin that you've ever done and all that debt that you've accrued but he has also given you more into your account than you can ever spend and the balance never decreases or diminishes that's the effectiveness of Jesus, and we're going to see this. We're in Hebrews chapter 9. The lectionary for this week gives me Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, which we're about to read, but I am also going to pull around some other passages and verses from 8 and 10 and bring all of what he's trying to say. I actually have come to really greatly enjoy the author of Hebrews because he's a little bit like me. This guy loves to fly his plane and never land. And so what he does is that he's reiterating over and over and over and over and over again just how great and superior and supreme Jesus is, but not only that, how effective he is, and that we can believe and have confidence and be encouraged because of Jesus. And he says this over and over and over again, like we often recite over and over and over again, but then still fail to believe it. 
So he's coming back again and reiterating things from even last week that we looked at. Read with me or look with me as I read Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, when through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this generation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from death works, from dead works to serve the living God. Did you all catch that? I kind of, I hope to frame it well enough so that you guys can understand what he's communicating. He says, if if the priest of old just did things to suffice or just did things to kind of settle debts as they were coming up. And then Jesus enters the scene and not with blood of animals, but his own blood. Doesn't take it to replicas of the heavenly places, but takes it actually to the throne room of God himself. How much more then does it satisfy our debt but also give us more than we can spend. Did you all catch that? That because of what we looked at last week in verse 13, that it's, it's more than just animal blood. That might suffice some things. That might just cover our flesh. But Jesus offers his own blood that is all sufficient. It does more than just suffice. It's all sufficient. And he takes it not just to temples and tents and cabins in the woods and replicas that represent a greater reality. He takes it literally, knocks on the door to the chamber room of God the Father. He says, Dad, I got something that I'm going to offer you. And it's going to restore all things. He takes it. And that's what I want to look at. There's two things I want to look at today that will prove the effectiveness of Jesus' work upon the cross. And these two places that he takes things. One, as I want to talk about, is he takes it to the very house, the throne room of God. And two, he takes his work and he brings it all the way down into your heart. So this first place, this first place is that God, that Jesus takes it to the house with the Father. He doesn't just restore relationships by calling and texting. That's a very passive way. He goes directly to the source. He goes directly to the Father, who desires a relationship with those he created, but because of sin, because of what we wanted to do, because of our rebellion, because of the fact that we ran away from the house like a prodigal son, there has to be reconciliation. And so Jesus does the reconciliation, and he doesn't text, he doesn't call, he goes directly to the source, he goes to the throne room of God himself, he enters the place where nobody can go because they are stained with sin. And he offers up his own self as the payment for our sin. This is the idea of atonement. Allow me to get a little theological for you. 
Atonement. What is atonement? It might be a big word for you, but let me just break it down. At one mint. That refers to relationship. A broken relationship, atonement is at one mint. It's bringing it together at that oneness. And just like all relationships that have been severed, that have been broken, that have been damaged, that have been destroyed, there's a couple things that you need. One, there needs to be some kind of restitution. There needs to be some kind of penalty paid. Because broken relationships are usually broken by an offense. And that offense has consequences. And the consequences do have to be taken care of. So that's not an issue that can be brought up anymore. They have to be extracted. The offense has to be extracted. And this is what we call, big word time, expiation. That's the extraction of sin. So Jesus takes our relationship and he's working reconciliation as the perfect mediator between the Father and us and he extracts the excuse of sin that eliminates our relationship so that he can bridge it back together. And not only does he do that, big word time, propitiation, he also offers himself as a goodwill gift to the Father to say, and I'm going to offer myself to you and serving you as a representative of the good relationship that we desire to have. That these people, your people, want to have with you. I am going to give myself over as an offering to appease you, to show you that we want a right relationship with you. So this oneness, this at, this at oneness, at one mint, atonement, this relationship, this is why Jesus takes his works into the very house of God, a place that nobody, no priest can ultimately go to the heavenlies, not made with hands. That's the ultimate reality. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, then now we can have a relationship with the Father. Allow me to call your mind to what happened. We had this relationship once before in the garden. But because of sin, it separated us and we got kicked out of the garden. The garden was this place. And you need to really understand this imagery and you really need to understand this reality in the Old Testament. This garden was the place where God lived with his family, both spiritual and physical. But we wanted something more. We said, surely we won't die if we leave this house and go pursue the things that God hasn't provided for us. Surely we can go provide for ourselves because we now possess the knowledge of good and evil. And we could go and do these things. And that's not the case. And so we left the garden and then the door shut. And ever since, we've been trying to find a way back in. Because we recognize that there is nothing that the world can offer us that would ever supersede the garden, the house, the family of God, that it is ultimately good, that it is ultimately loving. And you might know this, consult your own conscience for a second. Isn't this what you pursue in your own life? 
we talked about a little bit of last week, that we often pursue these other alternatives to the greatest reality that we once used to live. We want that meaning. We want that purpose in our lives. We want these things that we try to seek in, re in relationships with each other. And we just, they're not ultimately satisfying. And so we want to get back, but the door is closed. And here we're told in Hebrews that we have a one who is able to open the door once for all. That door will not be shut because he stands and he is the one that keeps it open. And he extends that invitation and says, see, I've brought and solved this problem in our house. The problem's been fixed. It's gone. And you're invited in. And you have to come through me. you got to leave all that other stuff that you've been flaunting in and living in and desiring. And you need to come here. It's open to you. So we learn that this priest king Jesus and all of his redemptive work upon the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection is truly effective because God the Father responds to it and allows the door to be open. And if the door is open, well, we're going to get to that. There's, a, there's another element to this with that door being open. With Jesus taking his work into the very chambers of the Father. You see, in the Old Testament, the Father, God, would often bring and visit his presence down with his people. But it wasn't a sustaining presence. It wasn't the ultimate presence. It wasn't what it was like in the garden. And that's what we're all trying to get to. That's what God is ultimately trying to, to do in our lives. Is get us back to this garden where his family and him can be together and live together. God's presence is needed in our lives. And what Jesus affords us through his work is not only does it take it into the chambers of God, but he also makes us into the places that God can dwell. No longer is God's presence outside. It can now be brought into our lives. No longer is it made up in temples or tents or cabins in the woods or RVs or temporary replicas of what the ultimate reality is. We become the very means to house the presence of God. That's how effective this priest King Jesus' work is he not only takes it to the house, but because of his work, he transforms us now to be able to have the presence of God living in our lives. And you're asking, so what does that mean? What's the significance of that? The significance is this, that the presence of God becomes very common now. It's not something wholly other, but it's now something in us that becomes common. And the more people that invite the presence of God through believing in Jesus into their life now get to display and have within them the presence of God Almighty. So wherever you walk, wherever you go, whoever is in your area of influence, you can now bring to them the presence of God, which they greatly need. Therefore, changing their lives and orienting them finally in a right direction. You can have the presence of God in you and it becomes more common, it comes, becomes more familiar to you than something that you just get, a, it's 
just you get to read about, but it's something you now can experience because of Jesus. The presence of God becomes concentrated when we all who have been made into these temples or into these places where God's presence dwells, all of us together, when we gather in this room, it becomes super concentrated. So we know that we can speak into each other's lives. We know that we have a common bond, a common unity, that we can all actually be family because we all possess God's presence within us and we can all cheer each other on. We can all encourage each other on. It becomes concentrated. And what happens when you get all those people filled with the presence of God in their lives because now they're temples of the Holy Spirit because now they're temples of the one living God. When you get them all together, we can change darkness into light. We can bring life into death because we possess all of that within us and that we can go across that street into those apartments, down the road and into our community. We can go into our work and transform it, not be influenced by it. That's what we all get to do together. The presence of God becomes contagious. Meaning when people, when we carry around with us our greatest prize, when we carry around in us the presence of the living God that changes lives, that is the life giver that speaks and things happen and get created, when we are bearing the presence of God within us, we get to spread his fame. And people will see it. And it'll become contagious. But here's the caveat. If they see it. If you look like them, they won't see it. If you do like they do, they won't experience it. You're only living into a different type of image. You're only living like they are. You're not living like the temple that you are, that you've been made to be. The presence of God in your life is not only common, it's not only uh, concentrated, and it's not only contagious, but it's also changing. This is sanctification. See, the presence of God in your life begins to change your mind about things. It begins to change your heart about things. It begins to change everything in every aspect of your life to be conformed to our exemplar, Jesus Christ, the standard. All of us really long to not have drama in our lives. All of us really long just to get things right. All of us just really long to be joyous all the time and not be riddled with burdens. And we now, because of the presence of God within us and the Holy Spirit, can begin living that life That's sanctification. This is the point where I've really had to come along in my understanding of the gospel. See, I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up uh, in the Reformed theology, and I'm still a part of the Reformed theology. And uh, so what I've always held on to the most is that atonement, that my sins are forgiven. And that's all I needed. Right? I didn't realize that Jesus does so much more. 
He's like, oh, yeah, you're forgiven. That's right to believe. But it's so much more than that. I've given you every means necessary for you to live rightly now. See, I've always just clean. Well, I messed up again, so that's just what I am. That's what I do. It's my thing. It's how I roll. So, Jesus, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I never get to the point that God is like, why aren't you exercising all of it? You're only exercising part of it. Yeah, you're forgiven. Now move on and start living. So now I've come into this great, amazing understanding that I am not succumbed to this idea that I am just a sinner whose sins have been forgiven. But I am now a child of God who can begin to live like one. Guys, I, I really hope that you grasp that idea, that you dive into that understanding. Because, yeah, I mean, great theology and the good news of the gospel does take you to that point where you know that your sins are forgiven and that guilt and, can, that guilt and shame can be dealt with. But it does so much more. That's the effectiveness of the work of Jesus. It takes you be, even beyond that to a completely different life. I mean, there was things that I was enslaved to. There was things that I was entrapped in. And I'm like, I'm never going to be able to get this. I can't wait for, for eternity to start, which is an oxymoron. I don't know if you know that. The idea of eternity doesn't have a starting point, doesn't have an end. It's, it's just all the time. It lies outside of time. And I'm like, hey, eternity start, right? It's, it's an oxymoron. But the idea that it's just not the forgiveness of sins, and you're just not left to have that payment over and over again of that debt that you're accruing, but that you actually have resources that Jesus has afforded you the means and the ability to be like him. And this takes me to the second place of where he draws and where his work comes into our lives. And that's the heart. See, he not only replaces this broken, failed relationship, but he also affords us the ability to replace those broken and failed pieces of our lives. And he washes them clean. And he gives us the ability to recover our innocence once again. He gives our intimacy with the Father again. It is one thing to wipe the slate clean. It is more effective to give us the ability to stay clean. Isn't that good news? And I've been living in half of that, just saying, like, well, it's just a good to kind of get clean. I'm cleaned up now. Step outside, whoa, I'm dirty again. Let's go get cleaned again. And it's just this back and forth. He goes, no, it's not a perpetual thing. It is a once and all thing. You, I'm going to clean you up, and then I'm going to clothe you, and you're going to start smelling, looking, and acting different because the same spirit that, that I had in me that empowered me to do all this effective work, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to bring it straight to your heart. I took it to the house of the Father. Now I'm coming straight for you and I'm going to put it in your heart. You want to challenge me on this? Okay, let's read some scripture to so it's not my words. <laughs> Hebrews 8, we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8 verses 10 and 11 says this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will Put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. 
and they shall be my people. And not only that, oh, it just gets better right here, verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. It's just not about your relationship with God. He also gives you the means to help others get a relationship with God. And for them to have Jesus come into their heart and make his work effective in it. As Jesus gives the same spirit that empowered him to do this great effective work, he now lends to us, gives to us, and says, now you can begin to live life as you were always created to live. On Wednesday, I was talking about sanctification a little bit to the youth. I picked up a chair and I said, if I wear this as a hat, that's not sanctification. If I were to sit in this chair, that's sanctification. This chair was created. It was meant to be sat in. And so we sanctify it when we sit in it. And all of our lives, we're acting like we're wearing chairs for hats instead of sitting in them. We're using our lives broken and inappropriate. We got the wrong tool for the wrong job. And Jesus says, no, now things are going to begin to make sense to you. You're going to renew your mind. You're going to reclaim your heart. And I'm going to give you a relationship with the Father. And this is the closest thing that you ever hear me preach about a prosperity gospel. That is how you prosper. Jesus doesn't just go to the house where the Father is. He comes into our hearts. And so the reality, at least I've asked this question, so, so okay, if that's true, then why do I feel like I can't live that life? Why is it that I'm struggling to walk past that second, into that second stage, into that sanctification you're talking about, Bruce? Like, I'm stuck where you've been in forgiveness, and I really appreciate forgiveness. I appreciate all the, uh, the substitution that Jesus has done for me. I, I appreciate the atonement. I appreciate the fact that he's, he is extracting my sin and he pays for my debt. But how do I live with my balance more than I can ever spend? How can I live in sanctification? It's a great question. So let's analyze that for a second. In psychology, there's this thing. When I was uh, a supervisor at a, a juvenile treatment facility made with all boys, teenage boys that were caught up in uh, the court system, and they were court-ordered into this facility that I supervised, and so we would often have these little counseling sessions, and we would bring in a counselor, and the counselor would talk about this self-fulfilling prophecy um, that she often was giving these boys. And so uh, I looked into it. I didn't know much about it. It's the first time I had heard about it, but it made sense to me. A self-fulfilling prophecy is defined as this. It's a prediction that causes itself to be true due to the behavior of the believer. So I'm going to break that down for you. A self-fulfilling prophecy is what you ultimately think about yourself, and you bring it to fruition. It's a prophecy, maybe, that you're thinking that it's self-imposed. Well, this is what I am. I'm just a, a, a pervert. I, I, I'm just an alcoholic. I, this, is, this is what I am, and I, just, I need all this to go away and eternity to show up just so I can be freed from it. And so I'm living into that. That's my self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm living into that. That's just what I am. 
I am the sum of all my sins. And that's why you hang on to forgiveness. That's why you hang on to those things. Maybe there's spoken fulfilled prophecies over your life where other people, horrific parents that are telling you that you amount to nothing, you do bad jobs all the time, that you're worthless, that you're nothing. A lot of these boys really identified that because the father was moved from the home because he was either beating them or telling them horrific things about themselves. And so they were speaking into their lives like, well, that's what other people tell me. Oh, well, other people think this about me. Other people say this about me, so that must be true because they are outside of myself, and so I'm just going to live into that. I'm just this. I'm just, society tells me that I should probably be canceled because I'm just a bad person. That's what they tell me, and I'm going to live into that. I'm going to fulfill that prophecy that they're speaking into my life. And you have to understand that those prophecies, your self-imposed ones and the ones that are spoken towards you in those regards might be keeping you from living the Savior-filled reality. The reason why maybe you're not walking in sanctification or in the process of, maybe the reason why you're not really grasping all these things that are now being written on your heart, not just in the pages that we read in the Bible, but that stuff is being implanted in you because of Jesus. And it's going to change you from the outside, from the inside out. And so the things that I once was entrapped in are things I really don't care or desire to participate in anymore. I can't explain to you. I mean, that's definitely not the route myself, my sinful self would take. But it's definitely a route my spirit-filled self wants to take. And the only way you can begin living in that is if you deny all these self-fulfilling prophecies and start living in the one that the Savior, Jesus Christ himself, has fulfilled, which is actually a reality. It's not a prophecy. It's not something that might happen. It is something that has happened that you can begin to live in now. The work of Jesus gives all we need for life, for relationships, and the pursuit of godliness. Because the work of Jesus is effective, then we can conclude, therefore, that our lives can now be changed. This can be applied to the offender and those who are offended. Let's talk about relationships for a second. We all know that we might need forgiveness, but we also all might be in a position that we need to forgive. You see, those who have offended people, wronged them, sinned against them, sinned against God, they might be chained by guilt and shame. This was me. But there's another side of that coin. The one that needs to forgive can often be chained by their pain and hurt. And God does not reconcile and allow those things to maintain. He says, no, I'm going to change those things. And how he does that is by his work on the cross. And this becomes effective in our relationships with God and each other. So maybe you are the offender today. Maybe that you have sinned against somebody. Good news is Jesus has broken your chains of guilt and shame. And he can set your life aright 
make all things clean and new, and even give me the resources to begin living differently. Maybe you're the offended, but you're strapped to chains of pain and hurt because you've been violated. And Jesus has set you free from pain and hurt by taking on pain and hurt for himself. And now he gives you the things that will not live a life of bitterness, but live a better life filled with the Spirit. And that comes even, we're warned in Scripture, if you don't forgive, then the Father won't forgive you. Because it's, it's been taken care of. To not forgive says Jesus didn't pay for all debt. And that's just not true. The Father just won't let that be said. It's just not true. If you want to live in unforgiveness, then live in unforgiveness. But it's just not true. Jesus has paid it all. So you don't get a lord over anybody. Because God isn't lording over anyone their sin who believe in Jesus. So maybe you're the offender or the offended, but both can live into this reality of how Jesus brings his work into your heart and transforms your life so that you can live rightly once more. Maybe you're working on recovering your innocence. Maybe you've made a mess of your own life with all the poor decisions, with all these things, with your relationships and your family, with your friends or other people in your life. Maybe you it's such a mess with the works that you've done in that relationship that you've defiled it, that you've made a mess, and there's just you don't see a way out. You have really, really destroyed things. Again, I, I'm only speaking because I've been to these places, and I know even this week I've talked to people that are currently in these places, and so what I have come to understand and what, I, what God has reminded me of this week, even, no matter how messy it has been for you. No matter how much you've destroyed. Let's say you've destroyed it all the way to killing it. Then man, praise the Lord, thank you Jesus, that he's the one that can recreate and bring to life things that are dead. So what seems as an impossible task to get over the messiness that you've made in your life, is an easy thing for Jesus to work in your life to set you right. And I'm a testament to that. I could sit here for another four hours. I won't. I could sit here for another four hours and tell you all the ways that I've made an impossible situation for my life. And how is it that I can proclaim and testify these things before you this morning? It's because, not of anything I try to do for myself, but it's the work of Jesus in my life that I can testify to it. He can restore the years the locusts have taken. If that locust is you, he can restore it. What this means, if the, the work of Jesus being so effective, what this means as he is taken to the house and as he's taken it to your heart is that God is no longer distant. He's right there. He's made available all the time to you because he's here in you. We were praying this morning, and um, while we were praying, I heard Bo walk in. Dad, 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 dad. Where's dad? And he was running around here. I guess that's what he usually does. And immediately, I, mean, I added this point because I, it quickly reminded how comforting I love to be called dad. Oh, 
And my son can come in and he's just looking for me. That means I might have a good relationship with him. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that my father hears when I cry out for him. Jesus, you made that possible. Your work is so good that I can call on the Father. Right now, Father, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I needed your help this morning, and I feel like you're here with me. Thank you. He's not distant. And just let me be a reminder that neither is your hope distant. We live as if it's over there. That's the one day when all things will be made new. It's over there. Jesus says, no. Let me renew your mind. It's right now. It's here. Today, you can begin living the way you will be living for all of eternity. That's an amazing thing. It's not something that we think about like, can't wait for Jesus to return. Jesus is in you. We've already talked about that. His word to live rightly is being etched on your heart. And you can begin living now. There's nothing that should be stopping you. And that's good news. And lastly, because Jesus' work is truly effective, it brings us to reality. Those who still think that the way they are living will produce all the good and rightness they desire. We talked a little bit about this last week. Many of us do things that are false, that are counterfeit. But because of the effectiveness of Jesus' work in our hearts, it brings us to a place where we can ultimately be living reality. Do you know what ultimately is? The thing that we're all pursuing? And we've all been aimlessly pursuing various ways. The ultimate reality is that there is a God. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. You can begin to live that relationship now through Jesus Christ because all of what Jesus Christ has done has afforded you that ability. And that everything that you were created to be in the first place can now be realized in your life. That's reality. But many people don't want to accept that reality because they love the false things more. Well, it sounds like you need a new heart. You know who afforded that new heart? Jesus, and he's going to start working, but you have to come to the door that he opened and walk to him and believe in him and believe it's going to be and stay open for you. The author of Hebrews summarizes all of this. And this goes a little bit into um, probably Pastor Marshall's sermon here in the next couple of weeks, but I'm just going to read it. He can expand upon it later. But it says this, and I say this in closing, to kind of summarize everything. I don't want to summarize it with my words. Let's summarize it with God's words. And he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, now a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Jesus' work is effective. We have become priests ourselves, the presence of God and temples, priests ourselves and temples. And so as a response, I just want to encourage you that right now, as Jesus has done all the things for us, that you have the presence of God living, that you are a temple, and you can go to the Father, and that you are a priest, that now you have the resources, namely Jesus, in your life, you have the word of God being etched on your heart, that whatever is left to be turned towards the light, that you can seek and literally go to God the Father and say, I need this to change in my life. Will you change it? You can pray for yourself and for others to God because of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you as the band comes up to get ready to play. They're going to play this one song. And if you just need to take that moment and say, hey, there are things in my life that I'm not living into that Jesus has afforded me. I am not capitalizing on all the deposits that Jesus has made in my life. I've only come this far, and there's so much more to go. There's so much more I could be doing. You can go to the Father, and you can ask him to reveal those things to you. You can pray to him to help you recover those things in your life and to begin living as you were always meant to live and yet how you were created to live. You can do that right now. You don't need Pastor Marshall or myself to come and lay hands on you. You can go to the Father. You know why? Because Jesus works and it's effective. And so while this song plays, I just want to encourage you to take those moments and really assess your life and see where you're not living into the life that God and Jesus have afforded for you. What do you need to purge? What do you need to get rid of? What false realities are you living into? And what are the realities that you don't believe that you need to be believing and living into? Father, I thank you so much just for your word. I thank you that it calls us and it beckons our minds and our hearts to orient to how you've created us. We thank you for Jesus and all of the marvelous things that he's done all of his work upon the cross, all that he's afforded us, all of the substantial deposits he's made into our account so that we can be made right with you and live rightly with you. We thank you for all this. And we pray right now, and I pray, that as those who don't know about this work of Jesus, that we can intercede for them and to those who do know but aren't living in it, that we can encourage them and stir them to pursue after all of what Christ has done for them. Fill this place with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.